Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. I'm not Ben. I'm Bob. The Grise family got COVID, so I'm standing in. And I'm not supposed to know, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to do this or not, but I'm going to do it anyways. Anna, congratulations. Anna got engaged last night. Woo! So, we rejoice with you. It's a good, th- it's a good thing. It's a good thing to get married. It's a good thing. Yeah. Um, so, if you wouldn't mind, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. And we'll go through a bit of that chapter. And before we do, we might just pray while we get started. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you that we can come and to just worship you and to just adore you for who you are. For you take away our sin and you give us life. And you look at us as, as just precious children who you long to bless You long to use us and that we would know, Lord, through today, the power of your resurrection and just how important it is and what it means to us today. And so we ask that you would come, you would teach us, you would bless us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, so... uh, Luke is the book that I've been teaching at, uh, at home, through the home group. Well, home, but via the internet. Um, and I'm going also in my personal devotions through the book of Jeremiah. And I thought, uh, Jeremiah's, the, the section I'm reading, he's really quite hard. You know, repent. You know, just give up and go to Babylon and it'll be good. And I thought, Luke's much much better better message than, than that, um, but they're all they're all good messages. But this is a, a chapter nine we did in my home group probably two weeks ago, and it was just such a. It's a critical thing for all of us to know, and as we go through it, you'll see we should know this and we should apply this every day of our life, every day. So as we're teaching through the book of Luke. Obviously, the book of Luke is, it's a, um, it's a gospel, it's an account of Jesus' life, Jesus' death, and what he's done. Luke is a doctor by, um, you know, trade, that's what he does, he's a doctor. And his uh, gospel is depicted, and he depicts Jesus as a man, okay? Who he is as a man. And it's funny, because we're looking through the book of Luke, and God's been quiet for about 400 years since the book of Malachi. God's been quite quiet. And all of a sudden, the book of Luke, he, starts to, he shows that Jesus comes to earth. He's born of a virgin. And every single bit, it's like, and the Spirit did this, and the Spirit did this, and the Spirit did this, and the Spirit did this. And it's like, this is when things start to work. And it's also how it works in our life. It's not by what we can do. It's what the Spirit does through us. And so Luke's going through this, and um, Jesus is healing people. He's healing deaf people. He's healing dead people. He's bringing them back to life, and he's doing all this marvelous stuff. And, and the, the, uh, obviously the disciples would be blown away to walk for three years with this, with this man, with this man that they're realizing is God. 
And that would be quite astonishing, really, to, to walk with a person like that. We get to walk with a person like that, too. So in the book of Luke, he starts out and he sends the disciples out and he gives them basically, they've, they've, they've been with him for three years. Okay, it's time to take the training wheels off. Go, guys, go. And they come back and they're like, Jesus, the, the, even the demons are subject to us. This is fantastic. And he's like, that's great. Come on, I'll, I'll teach you some more. And then he goes in, in verse uh, 12 through what's uh, uh, 22 or, or 12 through uh, 17. He feeds the 5,000 and, and you guys have probably heard all of that. And there's so much in these things that are just unbelievable. But then he comes to a point where he feeds the 5,000 and I'm sure that would have blown them away. How do you feed 5,000 men plus women and children? So it'd probably be eight and 10,000 people with a couple of fish and a couple loaves of bread. But Jesus can do that. That means he can help in any situation that we think there's nothing, this, this is ridiculous. He can help. So let's read 18 through 21. And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him and he asked them, saying, Who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one. So he gets alone and he's praying. And the disciples come alongside. Now, we don't know if they decided to join him or possibly they interrupted him because these guys do some crazy things, just like we do crazy things. But Jesus often prayed alone. He took the time to commune with the Father. We can learn something from that. It's important for us to get alone and commune with the Lord. It does something for us. It brings us back to where we need to be because life is tough. You get beaten up and you expend energy, especially if you're doing spiritual things, you expend energy. You need to be refreshed. So the disciples are there and Jesus asks them a question. It's sort of a loaded question because all of Jesus' questions, he, he knows the answer. So he says, hey, who do the crowds say that I am? What's the opinion out there of who I am? And they give a, a response. They say, well, you're John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was killed maybe a year or a year and a half earlier. And they say, well, you're John the Baptist. Obviously, he's sort of like John the Baptist because he's preaching the kingdom of God. He's preaching repentance. So that's what people think he is. Others say, oh, you're Elijah. Elijah, that great Old Testament prophet, the great miracle worker, because Jesus was a miracle worker. He healed people. He did things over and over and over again. 
blew people away. And they're like, well, when I read the accounts of the Old Testament, it's just like him. Maybe it's Elijah. And the people were expecting a person called Elijah to come. And Jesus told us in another section of the Gospels, actually, John the Baptist is that Elijah guy. They come in the same power. Then some people say, oh, he's, he's one of the old prophets. Maybe he was Jeremiah. Maybe he is these other guys. So that's sort of the, the trend and the, the feel of who this guy is. Everybody's got an opinion. Who is this Jesus? But then Jesus turns to them and says in verse 20, who do you say that I am? He makes it very personal. He doesn't want an opinion. He wants to know what their conviction is. Who do you say that I am? And that's the question that every single person on the planet has to answer. Who do you think that I am? And so he expects them to say something. And Peter, on behalf of all the others, because Peter seems to just pipe up on behalf of all the others and says, I'll answer here, guys. The Christ of God. What an answer. You're the Messiah. You're the one who the Old Testament said was going to come and make things right for us, for the Jewish people. You're him. But it's not just the Messiah. He is the Christ of God. It's God's Messiah. It's God's plan. You're him. And they probably thought, I'm going to get what a great response from Jesus. Jesus turns and says in verse, well, he doesn't tell us what he said, but he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one. It's an odd response. Wait a second. Peter just recognized Jesus as the Messiah, the one who would come. We're actually told in, in Matthew uh, chapter 16, and I'll just go back there. You guys can see it up here. In Matthew 16, 16 and 17, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. God the Father let Peter know this. And every time we understand Scripture, it's not our own understanding. It's God reveals things to us over and over and over. And Jesus says, be quiet. Don't tell anyone. Because the issue with this is if he's the Messiah, the Jewish people were expecting the Messiah to come and fix things with their nation. Get rid of the Romans will be like what it was under King David and King Solomon. We've got, he's the political Messiah. He's the one that makes things right. But there's way more to the Messiah than making things politically right. Jesus is going to deal with the sin problem. He's going to deal with the heart problem. And look at what he says next in verse 22. Tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed 
and be raised the third day. Wow. That was not what they were expecting. He's so much more than a political messiah. He introduces this concept of death. Now, he said it a couple times, but he's going to get critical in their understanding because from this point on in the book of Luke, he's heading to Jerusalem to do one thing and one thing only, and that's to die for the sins of the people, for the sins of the whole world. That's his main objective. And he's making sure that these guys understand how important this is. But look at what he tells them. In verse 22, the Son of Man must. These are critical. This is not maybe, it's must. This has to happen. This will happen. It must happen. Number one, I'm going to suffer. That would have been very, very uh, uh, defeating for these guys. I followed this guy for three years. He's the Messiah. He's going to suffer? Then he tells them, not only suffer, I'm going to be rejected. Unbelievable the mind thought of the, of the 12 disciples. Then he says, I must be killed. <laughs> oh, wow. But then he throws the fourth thing in. And I must be raised on the third day. They would have no clue what this meant. And don't think that these guys were dumb. The prophets of old, they said sort of these things, and they had no idea. But it must be, I must be killed and I must be raised on the third day. This whole concept of death, it is critically important for the Messiah to die. Critically important. We all know that. Those of you in this room, and hopefully all of you, who have come to realize that you're a sinner, there's nothing you can do, and that Jesus died on a cross for your sin, you've accepted him, you've been born again. Because why? Jesus must die, and he must be raised from the dead. But he doesn't stop there. He then throws in something else that relates to the disciples, it relates to you, and it relates to me. So we're going to look at the next verse. Verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. they must have thought, what the heck's going on here? Probably they didn't even understand this at all because just even understanding that Jesus was going to die, which would have deflated them, and all of a sudden here comes this message that, what are you talking about here? So let's look at it piece by piece. He said to them all, everyone who was in attendance, disciples, there were probably other people around, all of them, that includes, that would be all of us. What does he tell them? If anyone desires to come after me, which is a really good thing, we should all desire to come after Jesus. 
I personally, and I, not just for me, I want it for all of you, and really for every Christian to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. And all of us would say, it's only because you did it. It's only because you did it for me. And you did it with me. But he says, if you want to come after me, there's something you need to do. Let him deny himself. Whew. That's a big thing. So if you want to come after me, you've got to deny yourself. The big thing is, what does that mean? What does that mean? Because I want to go after him. I desire to go after him. I desire to follow after Jesus. You desire to fall after Jesus. What does it mean to deny himself? Well, let's look at this. Deny himself, that means you have to deny you. You're responsible for you, okay? It is your choice. It's not anyone else, it's you. Denying oneself means denying your whole self, not just part of you, not just our desires, our pleasures, denying me. Now, me wants everything for me. Oh, I want this, and I want that, and I want someone to do this, or think about this. Someone hurts me, well, I want to get back at them. Or I demand that I am the most prominent one. And we all have this stuff. And Jesus says, you need to deny yourself. It's not about you, it's about him. It's about others. You're being an others-oriented person instead of being self-oriented. Am I willing to shut up when someone hurts me? Am I willing to be quiet when I want to let people know what I think? Or to do something because I want to. What does Jesus want? You're being others-oriented instead of being self-oriented. And I'm telling you, you guys all know, if you're similar to me, that ain't easy. That is not easy because when I wake up, I am me. I am me. But you're others-oriented. Look at how he describes the next part because he takes it further, but it's the same concept. He says, take up his cross daily. Again, it's his cross or her cross, it's your cross. It's yours. You make the decision. And what would it, what would it mean to carry a cross? Well, at this time, if you were to pick up a cross, your destination is one place, a crucifixion, a death. Like, it's not easy. You have to do this. You know? I was reading a, a commentary. I was thinking the same thing, like, what would be equivalent to what he's talking about 
in our day, in our day, it would probably be an electric chair, you know? We wear crosses on jewelry and stuff like that. You wouldn't wear a cross 2,000 years ago, just as you wouldn't wear an electric chair on, on, a, on an end of a, a chain. It's so offensive. But that's what this is. Take up your cross. And now this isn't, it's either physical or it's spiritual. But he tells us it's daily. If you were to die physically, you can't do it today, tomorrow, the next day. This is a spiritual decision that all of us have to make. Am I willing to die to myself, to what I want on a daily basis, every single day of my life? That's what he says. If you desire to come after me, that's what it's going to be like. Jesus is the greatest example of this because he was so others-oriented. Everywhere he went, he healed people. Everywhere he went, he helped people. It's quite interesting where even just before this, I'll actually read this, and it's not on the things this coming in. After Jesus sent the guys out to, to test their abilities to heal people and to trust God, the apostles, when they had returned, told them all that they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. So Jesus takes them alone. A little private time. The next verse says, And when the multitude knew it, they followed him. And he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had the need of healing. Jesus took his disciples away for a private thing Yet the people came and he said, you know what? I'm others-oriented. If we're selfish, if we're self-oriented, we would have said, no, this is for me. Too bad. Go away. But he's not like that. He says, they're important. I'm going to be like that. He was teaching that. He shows what it's like. That's called others-oriented. He could have said lots of things. I know what I would have said. I'm tired. Just maybe just go away, you know? But he doesn't. He's so different than us. His ways are different than our ways. His thoughts are different than our thoughts. That's why we need to die to ourself, and it's so critical. It's our choice. You've got to make it every day. But he doesn't stop there. Why is this so important that we should die? Well, if Jesus dies, we also have to die. Verse 24 to 27. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of God will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's glory and, the whole, and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, 
There are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. So he says, you listen, you've got to die to yourself. You need to pick up your cross daily and then follow me. Verse 24 tells us, if you desire to save his life, we'll lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake, will save it. If you want to lose your life, give up your life, he says that you will actually save it. You will find it. And you know what we find? We find his life, resurrected life. Now, for me, I have a desire to impact people's lives. And I'm sure you do as well. And the only way this ever works is if I die to self. And then if I've lost my life, I actually gain a life, I gain his. And ultimately, I, I get to be with him in heaven. But that's how it impacts people's lives. It's the resurrected life. And he doesn't say this to guilt us. He says this to actually give you freedom. If you want to lose your life, you'll actually gain it. It's so diametrically opposed to everything we know that what we grow up and how we live in this world. Jesus is totally different. His ways are different than our ways. His thoughts are different than our thoughts. I keep repeating that because this about a month or two ago, this thing just rang out in my head. I was reading it and it just bang, just convicted me so much how different I am to him. I personally would rather have him doing things than me doing things. My fingerprints on things are not good, are not good. So if you gain the whole world, you still can't buy his life. You can't buy your life back. You can't get it. And Jesus reinforces this. He says, but you do it for my sake. It's about me. Verse 27 tells us that, you know what? Some are going to see this glory before they even die. Because I'm sure when he told them this, they would have just been so depressed and so distraught. You're going to die? Are you for real? Like, I gave up the fishing business for this. Like, uh, my whole life, I had a business, and I followed you, and now you're going to die? He says, no, 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 hold on, guys. There's glory here, too. I'm coming back with glory. And then he does something so unreal. The Father shows what happens. Check this out. Verse 28 through 31 now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountains to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So, Jesus told us in verse 27, some of you will see my glory before you die. It took about eight days. Eight days later, he goes up on a mountain. 
And it tells, he's basically, he's brilliantly radiant. <laughs> it is not the man that they went up on the mountain with. He's totally different. He is blown away. It's what we call, or the theologians call, the, the transfiguration. Matthew gives a description, and this is pretty cool. Matthew 16, 16 and 17. Simon Peter answered, oh, sorry, this is 17 too. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Mark also has a, shows us something about this in his gospel. Mark 9, 2 and 3. And after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transformed, transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launder on earth can whiten them. Wow, totally different. He's transfigured. What this transfigured means, it's changed from within. That's actually what Jesus is like. It's not a miracle that he became radiant and brilliant and white and just radiant. The miracle is that he would take on humanity, take on flesh and blood like, and, and sort of suppress that. This is what he's like. And they're like, whoa unreal. It, it is, it blows me away. Then it tells us there's two guys having a conversation with them. Moses and Elijah. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. There is a section on this and how people actually have their churches run and have their lives run. And Jesus there, you got Jesus, you got the law, and you got the prophets. I'll leave that to another day. That's big. But they have a conversation. Verse 31, and this is important what this conversation is about. Because Jesus had just introduced his death, and now the disciples have to learn how to die themselves. Verse 31, look at this if you, if you would. They spoke of his decease. Another word for decease is departure, his exodus, his death. They're having a conversation about him dying and about what he would accomplish at Jerusalem. Kind of weird. We have no idea what this conversation was like. I'm sure Moses would have sat there and gone, you know, I had to take these people from Egypt to the promised land and all they did was complain and all they did was cause problems and you're going to solve the heart problem? You're going to solve the sin problem? This could be... Why couldn't you have done this 2,500, 3,000 years ago? You know, what's the deal with this? And then Elijah, the great reformer, he confronted all the kings 
and all the people that are doing the wrong things. And could, you, you can go through a whole plethora of what this conversation was like. You're going to do this? Oh my goodness. How are you going how, how to do this? And the conversation goes on, but it's about his death. It was an important factor of what the Messiah needs to do. But he would accomplish this at Jerusalem. These two guys would have longed, longed to see this, waited to see this. We get to live it. How good is that? We get to live what Jesus has done for us. And again, what would he do to Jerusalem? He would go and he would die for the sins of the people. The sinless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He dies. He pays the price for our sins. And three days later, raises from the dead to give us new life. How good is that? 32 to 34. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. I was reading John Corson's um, commentary on this, and he, his view was he, he, th he took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain because these are the guys who are probably more subject to causing trouble. Not because they, they, were, they were some, you know, blessed guys. They, James and John were notorious for being sons of thunder. You know, get them, God. And Peter, he just likes to speak, you know. I was actually having a thought about all this stuff, and I was thinking, what would it be like if it was me, Rodney, and Phil in this? Oh, my goodness. It would be worse. It would be worse. That's just how my brain works sometimes, you know. It's not a bad thing to put yourself in those situations. So let's look at this. Verse 32. These guys awake. So they didn't hear the conversation, but they awoke and they saw, they saw the three of them. They knew who Moses and Elijah were. How? I have no idea. But they recognized them. It also says in verse 31 that Moses and Elijah appeared in glory. So they are long gone, but they appear in glory. That gives us a hint of what we're going to be like. How cool is that? And these guys were flawed too, just like you and me. But God has a plan and a future, that glory. So they knew it was them. They heard the discussion because it tells us in here they had a discussion about death. So they would have heard a little bit of it. You know, how long was that discussion? Maybe it was an hour and a half. Maybe they picked up five minutes of it. I have no idea, but they were asleep. Peter pipes up in verse 33 and says, hey, it's great to be here. Let's make three tabernacles. What's a tabernacle? 
It's a tent. It's a habitation. It's a place where you stay. Okay? I'll make one for you, Jesus. I'll make one for Moses. And I'll make one for Elijah. He had no idea. He just, he woke up and he's like, that was in his brain and let's do it. Before he even is done talking, it tells us a cloud came overhead and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. Peter had no clue. But God the Father stopped that conversation real quick. Boom, cloud comes in, whoa, got their attention. He gets their attention with a voice. God the Father says in verse 35 and 36, the voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told no one in those days any things they had seen. Fear comes over them, and God makes it very, very clear. God the Father, this is not about Moses. This is not about Elijah. This is about Jesus. Listen to him. He says that to us today. Listen to Jesus. Listen to him. The experience was so great that Peter sat there and went, let's just make a tabernacle. Let's make a home where we can stay right here. Let's stay here. This is where we want to be. But Jesus didn't come to earth to come up on a mountain and to show his glory. You're going to see in the next verse, he actually comes down off that mountain because he has another mountain he needs to climb. And that mountain is Mount Calvary, where he comes and pays the price and dies the death that he must die for us. That's because he loves us. He could have stayed up there, and Peter's like, let's stay here. No, no. Death is too important. Dying to ourselves is too important. 37 to 42. And it happened on the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, that a great multitude met him. Suddenly a man from the multitude cried out saying, Teacher, I implore you, look on my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, and it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. So I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. Even though he's frustrated, bring your son here. Why? Because I'm going to help. Because it's about others. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. He comes off the mountain, and here's another situation that Jesus has to deal with. How does he deal with it? Come here, and by his word, he says, he rebuked the unclean spirit. 
just by his word. Complete power to do things that we cannot, that they could not. But 43 and 44 and 45 really set the picture of this. Because this is the experience that we can get used to, that when things are great, we want to stay there. But he says, daily, I need you to humble yourself to die, to pick up your cross and to carry it. 43, and they were all amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at all the things that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, let these words sink down into your ears. And I would say he'd say that to us today. Let these words sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they didn't understand the saying. And it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Everybody's amazed. Here's this guy's son who's been demon-possessed. And it's awful. Like, you look at this and go, I, you would never want your child to have to experience this. And the people are just like, he's in his right mind. He's, he's, they're amazed. The experience is great. Jesus is like, don't worry about the experience. He brings it back to the importance of death. I'm going to be betrayed, and I'm going to be put to death. It's so important, guys, that when Jesus talks about death, he actually asks us to join him on a daily basis to die to self. Because when we die to self, first of all, you're being obedient. You're acting by faith. And faith is the way to access grace. By doing that, he then starts to go, I'm going to start working here. I can work with this person. I want to bless this person. We don't have all the answers. I can't feed somebody with 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread. But Jesus can. I need to every day, and you need to every day. And it's a reminder. I'll read it again. If anyone desires to come after me... Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You will be blessed. You will be touched lives that you have no idea that Jesus can touch. No idea. Take this as encouragement. Every day, die to yourself. If you've been living on the throne for a while... Come to Jesus and just confess it and repent. He puts you right back where you need to be. He helps you. Every day. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you, Jesus, that you didn't keep quiet when you said to us, when you said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. 
Because that's where we want to be, that place of freedom, that place where you are on the throne and we are not. But it's our choice. And you'll also help our choice. Thank you, God, that you live in us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are marvelous, beautiful. You are radiant. You are so much different than we are. And yet you choose to leave, to, to leave heaven and come to earth to accomplish what you need to accomplish so that you could accomplish things through us. And so we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.